It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. Today we reconnect with a good friend, a jazz pianist, a composer, vocalist, a ranger. Her name is Hannah Bayardi and she has a new release out. It's called Straight From The Soul. Straight from me to you, Hannah, welcome back to All That's Jazz. Thank you so very much, Alan. It's my pleasure to be back. Thank you. This is pretty exciting to get a chance to talk to you with this new release that you have put together and arranged and produced. It's a lot of fun. It's exquisite music. And I'm glad that we have an opportunity to talk to you about it. There's been so much going on. I think the first time we connected was back in June of last year. And here we are again. Congratulations on the release. Thank you so much. Yes, in a way, I was just telling you, it's just- seems like it's been a very long time. And in another respect, it seems like it's been a short amount of time. I think having having the music, having a project like this to to sort of distract me in a way uh, has been good and also given me some purpose and some motivation in, in a very trying time. So how long have you been working on this release? I know that you, I think, did a release single of Who Can Relate, which is actually on this particular uh, album. But it, in total time, uh, has this been underway for a year, for six months? Yes. Um, who can relate? I, I did um, include that on this album, and that was from 2018, and along with Distant Land, which was also from around that time, maybe 2019. There are a couple of tracks on here. See, Tandra, who that's been in the arsenal for a while. I've been saving it for an album, so I'd say about some tracks a couple years in the making, and the vast majority of which have been produced in the last year. So there are eight tracks on this particular release. How many of those are your compositions? Six and a couple of arrangements of Michelle Legrand pieces. I know. The uh, the Windmills of Your Mind, uh, for example, is one of them, uh, which I know, unfortunately, you can't take full credit for. <laughs> as much as I wish I could, I mean, Michelle Legrand is a mastermind composer. And arranger, so it, it was. Uh, it, it felt enough of a kind of an expression to be able to have the honor of of doing an arrangement of one of his songs. You know, it felt so natural because the, the most of the lion's share of the work is done, and it's just putting maybe a fresh twist on it to bring it back so it's palatable to younger audiences. So tell me about the name of the release, "Straight from the Soul." How did you arrive at that? I remember writing that phrase down for for a couple of years now and kind of tucking it away in my notes on my phone or, you know, thinking about it. The word soul was the one word that started the title. It came from soul just because I, I, my first release was seemed like a 
kind of my first effort to get music out and it was more traditional jazz. And I wanted this to be real soul food comfort music, kind of like in the way that right there's soul food, there's soul music. Um, I wanted to really explore a lot of my um, soulful roots and pay homage to a lot of artists that bring out a soulful side in me. And so I think that's how I arrived at that straight from the soul name. So if you were to take this CD and put it on the shelf in the library, what section does it belong in? <laughs> uh, can I get back to you on that? <laughs> I, I'd actually, uh, maybe maybe if you can put it in a few different sections if that's allowed. Um, I, I think definitely contemporary jazz in the way jazz has evolved, especially in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, five even. I mean, you're seeing more wide-ranging influences on a lot of contemporary jazz artists. So I might say that. I might say R&B, you know, maybe some Motown flavor. I don't know. Um, but definitely between those two. When looking at the press on this and, and, and just some of your descriptives uh, on the website, you talk about the challenge and expectations about what it means to be a woman in jazz today. Explain that. I think the challenge of being a woman today is that we uh, really have to be strong and rely on an indomitable sense of self-esteem and guidance driven by ourselves because historically it's been, as many know, a male-dominated industry, as is the entertainment music industry by extension. And this is changing, and, and you see a lot of great women pioneers who, who go as the mile, they go a step further, maybe instead of just making an album and saying, hey, I'm a woman in jazz, no, I actually, I feature women on my album, and maybe they collaborate with a female bassist or a great woman drummer, and you see more of those kind of collaborations coming about, which is something that I wanted to be in intentional about um, working with fabulous Detroit musicians such as Marion Hayden on bass and Karen Tomales on drums. I managed to have a female-centric, uh, a lot of feminine energy in the rhythm section so we can kind of lay down a foundation. Um, so I thought about that with this album that I wanted it to have more feminine energy coming through. When did you actually finish this up in terms of uh, recording sessions? You know, I think um, they want to say back in last, so last year, so 2020 around the fall, like September, October, November, at which point mixing started. So that took um, longer than, than I thought. And that's really the best part for me of the record is the, those quiet moments when you're working with, with an engineer or the group of engineers and kind of tweaking and listening and sitting with an album and letting it kind of percolate and then coming back and tweaking. That took every, anywhere from two to three months, just that mixing process alone. So when you're putting together an album like this, I, I've never really asked an artist this question before. What's it like anticipating the release of a new album? Ordinarily, it's pretty marvelous because I look looking forward to to seeing people's reactions physically, performing on stage, looking forward to press leading to performances. This year, however, it felt the anticipation was a little different because it felt more like the anticipation was for reactions from friends, family, fans, more in a virtual sense, more of an online sense. So that, that shifted a bit. Is there any anxiety uh, or what are the emotions that are going on? There is a strong emotional wave that I've been riding <laughs> for the past, I don't know, year and a half, two years even, because um, this was a very much of a vision album for me. I 
had a clear thought in my mind how I wanted it to end up. I wanted the album cover to look every single detail, how I wanted the arrangements to sound. And it was very intentional too, that I, I was going to be releasing a record that would be sort of hard to categorize and sort of not a tribute album, not all originals, but sort of a mixed bag. And I went into that eyes wide open knowing that, you know, as artists, like I said before, in, in other conversations, we usually just get one time to really one or two times early on to really make a mark. And when you're investing this much in a in in a work, you want it to make some sort of a statement. So is this your own release or are you on a, a label uh, company that has put this out for you? At this point, I am self-released and independent artist, of course, would love the opportunity to be considered um, by a label, major label. What's interesting about it is the fact that the packaging of your release uh, is so professionally done. Uh, it looks like it's on a major label production. Uh, Thank you. Who's responsible for the artwork or the design elements? Yeah, well, I really appreciate that. I'm glad that it, that it does look professional. I'm very happy with, with it too. Um, so a great uh, jazz pianist vocalist who I really love their music and I saw live at the Blue Llama in Ann Arbor. The artist's name is Lila Bialy, and she's Canadian Juno Award-winning artist. And I was struck by her album artwork, and I kind of reached out to her to be a potential Hannah's Corner guest. Hopefully that will still happen one day. She works with a fantastic artist um, of Halla Creative. Her name is Stephanie Haller. She's based in Los Angeles. And I reached out to her through, through Lila, and she kindly was willing to take some time and had bandwidth at the moment. She works with a lot of um, major artists to design straight from the soul. And she, you know had the idea of doing this layout and kind of some of the graphic elements that she wove in on the back and also here um, that I couldn't have done without her. I basically said, here you go. I'm here are the pictures and run with it. Well, it's really exquisitely done and very professional looking in character. So it's, it's kind of one of those things where if you're walking through a store and you saw the CDs on a shelf, you would go, oh, that one looks good. That might be uh, really very interesting. Do you think it reflects the the soul, pardon the expression, uh, of your release? I think it does. I, I do. I think it does. I think it, uh, you know, it, it captures, you know, my style, my sensibility, but also a little bit of the mutedness and the undertones of like neutral colors, which I think is really beautiful. So when you were putting this all together, the first thing I'm sure you had to do was once you got past either composition or arrangements and so forth, you had to assemble personnel, a band. Let's talk about the band a little bit. Who's on this release, starting with, uh, you've got two drummers, uh, Pete Sears, and then you also have, what was the, uh, the other gentleman? Uh, was uh, Karen Tomales. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Where did this development come from? Did you, by purpose, decide to use all Michigan artists? And in a way, I think it also um, was based on where I am location-wise, what my, you know, my personal history is as a University of Michigan graduate. You know, I had the, the privilege of working with a lot of great local talent and very much esteemed Detroit-based artists. And I think the relationship continued after, um, after, of course, being in school. You know, these are my mentors, people who check in with me af after college. And I was fortunate enough to hear yes from them when I asked, hey, do you want to be on the record? You know, Pete Sears was on C. Tandra. That was a couple of years ago. And Marion has been such a dear friend and mentor and been willing to 
feature, as well as Bill Lucas, who really was a mentor of mine in terms of composition and arranging back in school. So it was so, so special to be able to have them on the record because they bring such a maturity and elegance and eloquence to the record and really bring it up a notch. <laughs> you know, it's, I always think like, you're only as good as the people you, you play with, you work with, you know, you can have a great song, but in, until you get a really great band, it won't do the song justice, I think. So you have your uh, usual core musicians, but then you have this whole list of other people like Ethan Noga and Bill Lucas and Anthony Wyatt, but these people only appear on one track of uh, each of the tracks on the album? Yeah. You know, I never really stopped to think of how that might look, the permutation. I kind of took it as a song by song basis, like who who would really do this X song purpose, you know? And usually I'd names would pop in my head or I'd think of a certain person or a certain sound and tailor it. You know, Bill's flugelhorn, I heard definitely floating on the top of the summer nose. Anthony White is a very soulful um, saxophone player, and I heard him on Distant Land, you know, because come those solo sections, as in so many jazz tunes or bridges, you know, you can do the standard, me as the artist will play, or I can, you know, work with another artist and feature them and feature their voice, um, even if it's just for a track. So I think it's fun of the collaboration aspect. So are these people that you actually worked with before and that's why you invited them back to uh, be on this release? Oh, yes, mostly. Um, a lot of these artists I have worked with on um, a prior album, my last album, and also just worked with in college. A couple were recommendations from my sound engineer, Eric Wojan at Solid Sound Studios in Ann Arbor. He brought along um, Ryan King, great guitar player, as well as Ethan, um, who is actually a, a classical you know, snare drum percussionist who played on the U of M marching band. So I heard the little snare fill on who can relate at the end to kind of give it a more official... Uh, kind of feel to it, almost like a militaristic feel that was um, in, very much intentional. So he kind of came in for one hour a, on a studio session just to do a little fill, um, but it was of, all because of recommendations. Tell me about uh, Pete Sears. Uh, how did you come across the opportunity to work with him? I know he's worked with people uh, that are uh, quite well known in the industry, Russell Malone, uh, Mulgrew Miller, uh, Marion McPartland. And he's a, a jazz drumming teacher and teaches percussion as well. Did you meet him at school or did you take one of his classes? So I knew him back when I was around 10, 11, 12. I was introduced to him by my first ever jazz teacher who introduced me to the whole idiom of jazz, and that's Brian de Blasio, who teaches uh, privately uh, college students. Uh, he's a professor at the University of Michigan. And um, he had played a lot with Pete Sears and a lot of, um, I think Los Gatos is, is his group, and I think other records he had collaborated with Pete. And so a couple um, of you know performance opportunities came up with Brian and Pete, and I would meet Pete through Brian. I would see them perform at like Carytown Concert House, which is a which is a great venue in Carytown, Ann Arbor. And since then, you know, after being introduced to him, um, I had a couple gigs with him in my more college years, and then asked him to be on the record, and he said yes. So, of all the people that are listed here, I, I think there's one that stands out, and it seems to be a standout in your mind's eye as well, and that's David Magumba. Can you tell me about the relationship or association with David Magumba? 
Yes, um, that was a, a sort of unusual pick because um, David doesn't consider himself to be a true, like, straight up, like, jazz artist. He, he studied classical voice and more musical theater was his background. And I greatly admire him because he's an individual that sees himself as doing something unique in his field and coming out of that and saying, hey, you know, I, I'm a vocalist, but I, I can go in many different contexts. I can sing jazz or classical or musical theater, even though he studied classical. So we were both students at the University of Michigan and we, we never really got the chance to work together until after school, but we'd always pass each other in the hallway and, and you know, um, our paths would cross and we both knew each other's sound and kind of had this feeling that we both were trying to be real different, like black sheep in our particular genres. And so um, we, you know, years later, a lot of our peers fled for the coast, LA, New York, and we are still hanging around Detroit area, Ann Arbor area. And we said, hey, let's get together. Let's work on a song. He, he's currently working on his own album and likewise with me at the time. And uh, it worked out. I love his voice. It reminds me of like a combination of like Seal, maybe a little John Legend, so soulful. And he really had, carries his own. And so I was uh, thrilled that he could do, was interested in doing a collaboration on the Let Go. But he's only on that one track. So while we're talking about David, tell me about Let Go. Let's go through some of the tracks, if, if you don't mind. Tell me, did he collaborate with you in terms of composition on this or was it just that you had worked together uh, to produce that particular track so when we sat down in the practice room i started writing chords harmony and the melody and he uh started singing i started singing we had a harmony going um and i said okay we have a sketch of some lyrics it's kind of messy do you want to finish them do you want to come up with your own course first layout sure so he takes it a couple weeks later we come back practice again so it's a very much a co-written effort he took the lion's share of the lyrics I took the lion's share of the melody and so that's how it came to be and then we kind of arranged it together and you know we worked very meticulously on the harmony at another uh, practice session and worked out you know how the intervallic you know relation and got it down and recorded it So most tracks or releases or singles have have a story. What's the story behind Let Go? The story behind Let Go would be a story about, um, so I, I quote, and this was, this part was inspired by Madonna, a lot of the speak saying that she does in her, her songs. A couple things I say, you know, let it go, let it flow. And that comes in different times in the song. And I think I'm talking about, David and I were kind of imagining energy um, and kind of letting your true self come through. And personally, I was thinking about me in the context of jazz as a woman in jazz, but also someone who's trying to kind of push the boundaries of jazz, what that meant for me to really let go 
of preconceived notions of, of what we think we're supposed to sound like and really tap into what you are. Um, so that was kind of the feeling behind it. So what about the track Satandra? Um, I, I saw that when I first opened the package uh, and started looking at the, uh, the album and looked on the back for the tracks. And I saw that and I immediately pressed the button for that one and I didn't hear you singing in a foreign language. <laughs> so tender in French. Um, exactly. I, there's just the French bit is the, um, the title and various phrases throughout. It is spoken in English. It's a song that very much is kind of French and both bossa nova inspired. I think um, the romanticism of the French culture that very much informed the song and same with kind of bossa nova, Portuguese, Brazilian, that sensibility kind of came into the record um, through that song. Have you done any recordings in a foreign language? Mm, not on a record. So I have, sing I have sung, you know, Corcovado, Quiet Nights of Quiet Stars, um, and a couple others just at gigs, but not, not as of yet. I, it would be something I would love to do. I love languages. I'm totally, if I always say if I was a musician, I'd be a linguist. I'm fascinated by languages. How did you choose Michelle Legrand's Windmills of Your Mind? It was a combination, I think, of, um, you know, I'm, I'm very much, you know, in, of the same sensibility of my parents' taste in music. They exposed me to a lot of music they loved you know, during times of they, you know, when they grew up and into their adult years, and I'm consider myself kind of a throwback old soul in that I, when I listen to music, I'm listening to music from 70s, the 80s, the 90s. And I love, love, love the um, partnership between the Bergmans and Michelle Legrand. And the first time I heard the movie was in or heard the song was in the movie, um, The Windmills of Your Mind, a remix from the late 90s with um, Rene Russo. And, um, Pierce Brosnan and Sting's rendition of that song blew me away because it was like I, I was in a trance listening to it. it was just the most sultry beautiful song and I love the arrangement round and round the wheels turn Hands are sweeping past the minutes. I 
So I started going back and listening to every song I could find. And I found a common thread of sort of a cinematic song. It's more, you know, more dramatic. And I wanted to create maybe an arrangement that was fresh and a little bit toned down and really like listenable. Is there one particular track that is, for lack of better word, your favorite or one that is just near and dear to your heart? That's so tough. <laughs> the one that is near and dear to my heart, I'd say, is the Summer Nose, just because that that song, I had I had a clear vision of how I wanted the arrangement to sound like, and I and I really I think it was, came down to the musicians. It came down just to the maturity and and the you know how well seasoned and well rounded the musicians were on the track that they took it to a level that I never knew for me it could it could reach. I had this vision in my head, the sound, but it wasn't until it all came together at the very end that I was got like goosebumps listening to it. something new I think because there's some percussion and a lot of kind of beachy sounds I like to say with the djembe um to me it sounds something that really is hard to categorize I feel like it crosses a lot of genres maybe like neo soul contempt jazz and even a little bit of quiet storm which is a movement that I love you know the music of Michael Franks and that whole genre I think was a beautiful time in musical history tell me about the track that is titled transit uh, that is, I left it as the last track on the album as a taste of the future. Um, that was pretty intentional. I, uh, I've been listening a lot to my childhood inspiration of George Winston. I grew up listening to his music and it's um, profoundly emotional for me and my family. It has a lot of nostalgic resonance. Um, it was my grandma's favorite artist who I never got to meet. And so that was a very personal connection with my dad's family, that musical connection to my grandma. And so, you know, growing up listening to his beautiful music, he had such a niche of his own and really such soothing music, this new age kind of new category. Thank you. 
And so when I first started playing piano when I was three, the music I wrote sounded vaguely like that. They were kind of instrumental, you know, very simple melodies. And I took me like 25 years to realize that, okay, I actually can do something that is musical, that is listenable. I hear Icelandic artists and all Norwegian artists all over the world writing this kind of neoclassical minimalist music. And I think there's a home for it today, kind of especially when you think of music as medicine and how music can be really vibrationally healing, especially in this time. I would love to write more music in that vein in the future. So I would ideally love to do a whole album of just piano easy listening like that. Would it be an unfair characterization to say that the music of Hannah Bayardi uh, is uh, such that there's a blur between the genres? I would. I would. I would. I think I would like to be thought of as someone who who is bold enough to maybe mix things up and stymie and kind of confuse people who are trying to categorize. You know, people maybe that are trying to describe it or in, you know, press coverage and kind of like, wait a second, what is this? You know, what is this exactly? I, um, I, I look at a lot of artists that I love and I see that as a common theme that they are in their own, they create their own sound. And that's a huge feat, but I would like to just endeavor to start to do that with my own music. Cause so many of the artists, Candace Springs recently, who Blue Note signed, and she is an incredible artist that I think draws upon a lot of influences and is very hard to categorize. Is there a particular genre that you don't want to be classified or associated with? No, I mean, I think the more the merrier. <laughs> I was just thinking about that, you know, it could be as simple as an instrument you choose to include on a track from a person you choose to work with that has a certain sound steeped in a certain genre that can change your whole persona. I think if you do an album, if I did like a rap album, for instance, that would change things, right? If I did a, you know, neoclassical or an R&B soul, I think people would be like, wait a second. Okay. Who, who is she? Where is she? And I like that. I think this is a time where the boundaries between and the walls between what is, a certain kind of music are fizzling away. And I think that leaves the door wide open for new and never seen before collaborations and sounds. So did you originally start out with the well intention of being a jazz artist and then you took a journey of discovery and it was like, oh my gosh, I'm not sure where I should go. I think I've always known I was different. Even when studying jazz in school, it didn't feel like home to me if I'm being completely honest, there were elements of jazz that I love to this day and it's improvisation, composition, arranging, that beautiful and I love and identify with. And there's also this other half of me that has been unexplored really, because when you're given the option as a, as a kid, right, to study classical or jazz, you know, we're finding that there's a lot of other areas that we're leaving out when we just do black and white. And so a lot of jazz artists that I getting to know or have these other kind of sides to them that they want to explore. And I think that's really beautiful that they're, you know, we're finally getting our minds kind of more open beyond just what is jazz and what is classical, you know, to what, what can be. So when can we expect a Hannah Bayardi hip hop release? <laughs> well, I'll get back to you. There's, I have a roster of artists. I always like to keep a list of artists that I want to reach out to or, and see if they'd be interested in collaborating at some point. And, uh, I think a couple of them on there might come under that classification or not, right? Maybe they're trying their own thing too. They're creating their own niche, but uh, I'm definitely open to that in the near future. I'm hearing a lot of recordings uh, of uh, contemporary jazz artists now that are incorporating the sound of either rap 
or hip hop into their music. And, you know, music is a form of uh, expression of message. And message seems to be conveyed these days uh, quite strongly and purposely through rap or uh, oftentimes spoken word. Very true. Very true. I think as much as ever, artists are, are activists nowadays, we ha or we have the option to be. I think in what we say, how we say it, who we choose to work with, I think people, musicians nowadays are very intentional about who they want to work with and what sound they want to convey uh, much more than before. When I'm just looking at the record, I know on who can relate, I, I took sort of a risk and I didn't know how it would be received. I did do spoken word, as you mentioned at the end, and I had a section where, you know, I, I asked some of my friends and I said, you know, what do you, what do you think about this? And I got some mixed reactions, but on the whole, it was, hey, you know, this is you, just you being you. And you don't really have to say it's spoken word or rap or what it is or isn't, you know, it kind of stands on its own. So that gave me some encouragement because I wanted to kind of spread my wings and try something risky, something new. And that's why, what that end section is on who can relate. So what's next for you? Any Anything uh, in the works or at least the thought process of uh, what direction you might take? A couple thought processes going on. Um, you know, definitely as an artist, we are all looking forward to getting back to live shows. So I'm definitely looking forward to um, a concert at The Arc on April 15th that will be live streamed. And I have an album release party at the end of March that will be a... Um, you know, streamed on YouTube or put on YouTube rather and Facebook and watched as a live kind of live stream. Um, that's on the performance end. On the musical end, I, I would love to, as I said earlier, do a more acoustic album um, or collection of songs that are more in the new age vein and style, and then go on to do um, more collaborations, more in the R&B soul style. You're, you're sort of like that, the Forrest Gump thing or you know you're like that box of chocolates you never know what you're going to get i love that line good line <laughs> mom always said <laughs> thank you I, i'm glad to be known that way um that's how i feel like as a as someone who just you know works with whatever force whatever comes through you know when i sit down to play i honestly can't even predict what'll happen <laughs> it's, it's been a ride it's been a ride <laughs> Well, rather than worrying about the future or what's to come next, the most important thing that our listeners should focus on is the fact that they should make their new best friend the release called Straight From The Soul and check that one out and uh, get a good taste of the multi-talents of Hannah Biardi. Thank you, Alan. How can people learn more about the release and yourself? Um, probably the, the most streamlined way is to just um, visit my website, which is hannahbiardi.com. And from there, you can watch, you know, behind the scenes videos, links to your chosen platform to purchase the album or stream, um, as well as um, other video footage and behind the scenes. Well, Hannah, thanks for joining us here today on All That's Jazz. Thank you so much, Alan. It's really great to be back. And thanks for taking some time to have me on and for supporting my music. Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz with Hannah Bayardi. We'd like to thank Ben Sedrin for the use of Mr. P's Shuffle as our theme song. And visit us next week for another interesting conversation on All That's Jazz. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the streaming service you use. All That's Jazz is available on every major streaming app, including Podbean, Apple Podcast, and Spotify as well as Facebook and online at allthatsjazz.net.